Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tonight on The Readout. And I said, look, you are asking me to do something that is counter to my oath when I swore to the Constitution to uphold it. And I also swore to the Constitution and the laws of the state of Arizona. You are asking me to do something against my oath, and I will not break my oath. That was then Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers appearing before the January 6th committee last year. Now, he says, he has spoken to the FBI about efforts to overturn Arizona's election results in 2020. That as Trump's right-hand man, Walt Nauta, enters a plea in court to charges he helped Trump mishandle classified documents. Also tonight, in the aftermath of the Supreme Court affirmative action decision, a Republican senator warns colleges against admitting too many blacks and Latinos. The great Sherilyn Eiffel joins me to discuss. And Elon Musk spent $44 billion to buy Twitter. What's it worth now after more than 30 million people have signed up for Mark Zuckerberg's rival app Threads in less than 24 hours? But we begin tonight with the third time being the charm for Walt Nauta, Donald Trump's valet and co-defendant in the special counsel's classified documents case. Today, Nauta finally faced his arraignment after, at long last, finding a Florida-based criminal attorney. He spoke just three words in court, saying, yes, your honor, as he pleaded not guilty to the six charges laid out in last month's indictment, including conspiracy to obstruct justice, withholding a document or record, and making false statements. Mind you, that was three more words than Trump uttered during his arraignment last month. Nauta is the only other person charged in the case. He's accused of helping Trump hide top national security files that Trump took after leaving the White House from both investigators and even from Trump's own lawyers. From the indictment, it would appear that all of it was done at the direction of the twice impeached, twice indicted former president. Now, his appearance in court comes a day after federal judge, a federal judge unsealed more of the affidavit that the FBI used last summer to obtain a warrant to search Mar-a-Lago for classified documents. Most of the newly unredacted portions contained information already made public in last month's indictment. But it also included more insight as to why the FBI believed at the time that there were still more classified documents being kept at Trump's resort, counter to Trump's lawyer's claim that everything had been turned over after a diligent search. Included is a detailed description of the security camera footage showing Nauta moving boxes out of the storage room, both before and after he was questioned by the FBI and claimed that he didn't know where the boxes were or whether they had been moved. We also learned that Nauta was referred to in the affidavit as witness number five, which means there are at least four other witnesses that we don't know about whose involvements remain redacted and who likely cooperated with investigators. And while it appears Nauta is remaining loyal to his boss, perhaps he should have taken the advice of yet another one of Trump's former employees who has been exactly where Nauta is today. Walt, I know you're watching. Run. 
Run as fast as you can, my friend, right? And as a former military guy, I know you know how to run quickly. Run as quickly as you can because Donald Trump will throw you under the bus faster than you could possibly imagine. I want to listen to that. Join me now is Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor, Georgetown law professor and MSNBC legal analyst. And Dave Ehrenberg, state attorney for Palm Beach County, Florida. And Paul, I do want to start with you. What in this affidavit do you think is new and revelatory? So there's not a whole lot of new information, but the detail is so incriminating. Walt Nada is denying to the FBI that he knows anything about boxes at the same time that he's moving them around. Right. Uh, Evan Corcoran, Trump's lawyer, was apparently lied to by Donald Trump and by NADA, which explains the conspiracy that they're charged with. This is significant because Trump's main defense Mm -hmm. is going to be motions filed in front of Judge Cannon before the trial happens, including trying to strike the testimony of of, uh, Corcoran based on attorney-client privilege. But that crime fraud exception, which the D.C. chief judge found, right. uh, Judge Cannon will have another bite at that apple. But when you look at this videotape, yeah. it seems clear that this this conspiracy was about also trying to get the lawyers involved in trying to hide these documents. So what we have, Dave, is, you know, the the. the, the somebody must have told, right, that there was surveillance video because you've got. Waltine Nauda on surveillance tape at Mar-a-Lago moving 60 boxes out and then putting 31 boxes back in, meaning that they reduced the number of boxes with classified documents in them by half. And then to go ahead, do a diligent search. The government obviously knew that. But Walt Nauda, who then goes to the FBI in his interview, and I'm just going to put the Q&A up, and knowing that we're trying to track the life of these boxes, remember that he's on tape moving, and where they could have been kept and stored and what, that kind of stuff, Nauda. Mm-hmm. Do you have any information that could, that would, that could help us understand, like, where they were kept, how they were kept, where they were secured, where they were locked? I mean, were they were locked? Were they locked? Something that makes the intelligence community feel better about these things, you know? Nauda, I wish— wish I could tell you. I don't know. I don't. I honestly just don't know. This was after the footage. They had the footage. They knew he was lying. I don't understand what his defense could possibly be. Do you? Joy, you got to love it when someone is about to lie to the feds and says, I honestly can't tell you. That's his preface. That's how you know he's lying. And yeah, he (laughs) should have known the cameras there and they got him in perjury. And that's why, Joy, his value as a witness has been diminished. He may try to cut a deal one day with the feds, but every day he waits, he loses leverage, in part because he lied. He was on video showing he lied. And as you and Professor Butler mentioned, he is witness number five. That means there's at least four more witnesses who can provide valuable testimony and probably have flipped already. In addition to Evan Corcoran, Trump's own lawyer has these valuable notes that have been turned over to the feds. So the feds really don't need him. So stay with you just for a second, Dave. It took a long time um, for Walty Nauda to get a lawyer, a local lawyer. He does have someone. Her name is Sasha Dayton. Um, she's 34 years old. She's from Fort Pierce, which is relevant because that is where the judge is based. She started as a public defender for the 19th Judicial Circuit in that Okeechobee area. She's represented more than 3,000 clients, but mostly in adult and juvenile felony and misdemeanor cases. Her current firm includes criminal and family law matters. She's been on the bar since 2014. She doesn't appear to be super experienced. What do you make of her, uh, her level of experience, and whether or not 
you know, anything about her presence suggests to you that she could really help him in a case of this magnitude, given the facts and given the court and the judge? Joy, they needed a lawyer, any lawyer who was admitted into the Southern District of Florida, who will work for the rate that the Trump team was going to pay. And so they found her. She doesn't have any experience when it comes to classified documents or national security. So she was just there, I think, just to have him plead not guilty and request a jury trial. I don't know if he's she's going to be there for the long haul. And for him, you know, you would think he would need some real experienced lawyers because he, you can argue, has more culpability than Trump because he's the one on the videotape. So unless he cuts a deal and cuts a deal soon, he loses any remaining limited leverage he has. And there's an old saying, first in, first to win. The first to the table gets to eat and the last one to the table becomes dinner. Well, and, and here's the thing, Paul. Not only is the indictment, the, the original indictment and now the, re, the part uh, redact, unredacted one, it has when he's moving the boxes, it says in the indictment, he takes a call from Trump. 29 seconds later, he moves some boxes. He takes another call from Trump. So Trump is implicated, but he's in a, in, on the phone. So we don't know if they have audio of that. We don't know what they have. But because Walt Nada is, seems to be dead to rights, does it surprise you that, not, that they seem to still be aligned? He's got a much less experienced lawyer, a much less expensive lawyer. He's still walking around, palling around with Trump. Everywhere Trump goes, he goes. Trump basically has him like a mob boss under his armpit. What do you make of just this situation? They're tried together, but he seems so disadvantaged. Yeah, so Walt Nada is one of these Trump ride or dies who would rather go to prison than tell investigators the truth about Donald Trump. But the arraignment is the formal beginning of the criminal legal process. There's nothing like a cold, hard indictment to make a defendant reconsider his loyalties. And I think that the special counsel would still be interested in making some kind of deal with Nod, if nothing else, to neutralize him from being a witness in favor of Donald Trump at the trial. So he pleaded not guilty today. Jack Smith is hoping that means not guilty for now. And do you, are you surprised? There are four other witnesses, which means somebody else told about that secret service. He's clearly didn't know it existed, that there were cameras. You know, I don't know how you could be the valet and not know there were cameras, but okay, we'll leave that there. There are four other people, it doesn't seem like he has room other than a plea to save himself. It seems to me he's even more likely to go to prison than Trump. I think that's right. So these four other witnesses apparently are cooperating with the special counsel. Unlike Watanada, they're not trying to go to prison on behalf of Donald Trump. But let's face it, Trump is not the brightest criminal in the world. He commits crimes on his own surveillance videotape. He boasts about crimes to passing reporters, and he solicits his employees to do his dirty work. So one of the other unnamed uh, witnesses, employee number two, is a person who, like Nada, came from the White House to Mar-a-Lago with Trump. She was his assistant, but in Last summer, she stopped working for him, and now huh. she's apparently cooperating. And has her own lawyers that he probably ain't paying for. That's correct. But let's quickly <laughs> switch over to Rusty Bauer. So he did talk, um, and here he is talking about being interviewed by the FBI. This is him on CNN. I'm hesitant to talk about any subpoenas, etc., but I have been interviewed by the FBI. They seem to have a good grasp on all of the testimony that I've given. They were very aware of the January 6th committee um, testimony that I gave. 
Let me give each of you a bite at this apple. Uh, Paul, what's the significance? What could he provide? Uh, so these subpoenas are uh, consistent with the special counsel's focus on the big lie, the fake elector scheme, and especially right. lawyers' roles in it. Uh, what was the factual predicate for these lawyers making these claims that there was fraud in the election? There was no fraud, so there right. couldn't have been a factual predicate. But as an attorney, you can't just get up and tell a court anything. Mm -hmm. 62 challenges to the election bought by Trump's people, 62 losses right. on the merits. So Rusty Bowers, Trump solicited him to commit a crime. Yeah. So he did what any responsible citizen would do. Uh, he told the truth. Even though he was a diehard Trump supporter who said even afterwards he would have voted for Trump even after his family got death threats. Dave Ehrenberg, I am so curious how all of this is going to play out when you've got a trial imminent in the state of Florida with a judge who seems like a super Trump-friendly judge, but you also have Jack Smith who is relentless and pursuing other crimes against him. Um, and in the case of the Walt Nada case, they've got like— images of them giving over classified documents that look like they're in classified markings. In this case, they've got somebody who's a Trump diehard, Rusty Bowers, testifying against him. How do you see all of this playing out? Are we going to see two simultaneous trials of Donald Trump? I do think an indictment over January 6th is coming. And I think the easiest way to get them on it is the fake elector scheme. And that's why they went after the folks in Arizona they had one of those fake elector schemes there, and that has wire fraud written all over it, which is relatively easy to prove for federal prosecutors. You also have conspiracy to defraud the United States. I think that's where they're going. And as far as in South Florida, they've got a tough jury pool because if it is in Fort Pierce, not only do you have Judge Cannon, but you've got five counties for them, red counties. So we'll see what happens. But I'm also also interested with Walt Nada. His lawyer is being paid for by Donald Trump's PAC. Yeah. So there's an inherent conflict there. So this is like a, a made-for-TV movie, and we just don't know what's going to happen next. A made-for-TV series, because they couldn't get it done in an hour and a half. They would need like a whole Netflix series to get all this in. It is so much drama. Uh, Paul Butler, Dave Ehrenberg, thank you both very much. And up next, conservatives on the Supreme Court reveal their risky new agenda as they target young Americans with out-of-touch rulings on student loan forgiveness, abortion, LGBTQ issues, and affirmative action. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Last week's Supreme Court rulings have left millions of Americans shattered and confused as to what the future looks like, and with good reason. 
The decision sent a signal that these mostly white, religious, conservative, federalist society allies seem to be intentionally targeting the progressive strides this country made in the 20th century, with the collateral damage aimed squarely at our younger generation. Now, if you want proof, Look no further than Wisconsin, Missouri, and Kentucky, which are just some of the states looking to end educational grants to minority students in the wake of the affirmative action ruling. For reference, the University of Wisconsin-Madison has roughly 50,000 students, and only 1,200 are black. While these schools are pulling grants to minority students, Donald Trump's designated xenophobe, Stephen Miller, issued a warning letter to 200 law schools that they had better stop trying to make their schools more diverse because that amounts to discrimination against white people. And that seems to be this court majority's bottom line, preventing uh, preventing what they view as discrimination against the real victims, white conservative Christians, while authorizing discrimination against everybody else. In just this past month, the Roberts Court granted permission to discriminate against the LGBTQ community. They struck down decades of guardrails to ensure that our schools reflect our society. And they blocked the Biden administration from forgiving student loan debt, ruling that they didn't have the authority to divert funds to help financially struggling Americans, even though they let the Trump administration divert funds for the border wall to keep out brown migrants and to ban Muslims from entering the country. So the Roberts Court, to them, Some discrimination is A-OK, just as long as white conservative Christians maintain a top-tier privileged position in our society. Got it. To be clear, the Supreme Court has always been the Republicans' ultimate insurance policy, and they've been working on building a court-based veto against social change for decades. Here is then-Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell after he sealed the current conservative majority on the Supreme Court for the next half-century. We made an important contribution to the future of this country. A lot of what we've done over the last four years will be undone sooner or later by the next election. They won't be able to do much about this for a long time to come. One thing this court has made clear is that they are unafraid of ripping up decades of precedent to impose their right-wing vision on America, which should send a chill down your spine because it means nothing and no one's rights are safe. But if you are young, understand that your generation is target number one. Joining me now is Sherilyn Eiffel, former president of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund and the inaugural Vernon Jordan Endowed Chair in Civil Rights at Howard University. As part of her role at Howard, she will soon launch the school's 14th Amendment Center for Law and Democracy. And I want to start, um, Sherilyn, by it's wonderful to see you and congratulating you. Thank you. you. And to be in a a space named after the great and wonderful Vernon Jordan, who's such a a dear, wonderful man and a great man. And you're a great woman. So Thank I you. want to start with that. Um, that was the good note. That okay, was the good, good news. news. <laughs> a really smart friend of mine um, said to me uh, this morning that what this Supreme Court ruling in affirmative action proves is that they're not against affirmative action because they're fine with it for like the well-to-do. What they're against is us. What they don't want is people who look like you and me in elite schools. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, Joy, in the opening when you talked about this as a decades-long uh program. This is essentially um, all part of a program designed to um, essentially dismantle the infrastructure that was created after the civil rights movement to try and move us further towards equality. 
And, um, you know, these are people who have always believed that that project was worth engaging in. Um, you know, John Roberts has had his long-term hostility to the Voting Rights Act and to yes. affirmative action. We should never forget one of his earliest decisions was in the Parents Involved case, uh, which involved a, a case of voluntary desegregation efforts in K-12 schools in Seattle. Uh, and in Louisville, Kentucky. And that was the case where he famously said the only way to stop discriminating based on race is to stop discriminating based on race, right? Mm -hmm. So he's got the bromides. He's got it down to math. Yeah. What is most disturbing is seeing his willingness to use and weaponize our tools, Brown versus Board of Education, yes. the 14th Amendment in this project. Yeah. Um, the, the conversation about Brown in the decision is, um, is mind-boggling, but it is part of a, a larger uh, hijacking of yeah. Brown for their purposes. Last year, it was Justice Alito who used Brown for the proposition that sometimes we have to overturn cases, and this was his mm -hmm. rationale for overturning Roe. So we see them using the very tools that were created for us for their project. And the 14th Amendment is one of them, which is why I'm, I'm starting this center, because I think there's such a, a lack of understanding of what the 14th Amendment means and what its intentions were. You know, it, it's it's fascinating. The, the most, as I read through it, they cite Plessy a lot. A lot. Which is weird. Mm -hmm. um, um, Thomas, his first citation is Plessy. Um, they cite Brown a lot. Um, and in Gorsuch's concurrence, he cites Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, mm -hmm. which has led some people to refer to this affirmative action decision as, in their minds, it's Brown v. Board for white people, basically. I, I, I agree with you. And I think that's why so many people are concerned about the slippery slope. Like, let's be clear. This decision um, responds to Harvard and UNC's race conscious admissions program. It does not talk about businesses or employment or yet. any of the other places yet. But I think that's why people <laughs> have the concern. And understandably yeah. so. I don't think it's outrageous for people to see the writing on the wall. And that's what this term on the court has been about. The jig is kind of up. Yeah. We, we now are very clear about what the intentions are. And we're very clear that they don't intend to stop. No. Uh, even the loophole, you know, there's a loophole yeah. in the majority tell opinion yeah. where you can tell your story, which yeah. is exactly what happens. What he's describing is, is, in fact, the Harvard admissions totally. program. But he says that would be OK, yeah. but not this. And this is the other thing that disturbs me, Joy. Clarence Thomas, in his uh, uh, concurrence in the case, says that these admissions programs discriminate against Asian-American students. And that's a heavy charge. It's a serious charge with implications for how we talk about race in the country, yes. for our connection to other communities, for uh, political power and so forth. But there was a trial in this case, a two-week trial in the Harvard case. Mm -hmm. Evidence like you can't imagine, charts, graphs, studies, expert witnesses, students testifying, and so on and so forth. And a federal judge made findings in a 130-page decision that meticulous findings that the program did not, in right. fact, discriminate against Asian Americans. And that decision was upheld by the 11th Circuit. That's a factual decision. The yeah. Supreme Court can't reverse a factual decision. But you see them saying it just nevertheless it. because it's so useful. And the thing is, a lot of what they said sounded like sort of Rush Limbaugh right wing talking yeah. points. Um, and, and the outcome of it has been a couple of one, a couple of them. Stephen Miller, the dedicated xenophobe from the Trump administration, mm -hmm. has now issued a warning to law schools yes. all over the country, essentially saying, we're going to be watching you. And if you admit too many blacks, we're going to sue you again. Because they're only seemingly targeting, they don't like black and brown. They throw in Hispanics sometimes, Latinos sometimes, but they really like, really bugs them that black people are at these schools. And then you had, um, uh, Senator, uh, uh, what's his name, um, from Ohio, uh, J.D. Vance. Mm -hmm. 
write a letter mm-hmm. to several top schools, including Brown University and others, listing all of their reactions to the decision and essentially saying, how are you going to ensure that your campuses become whiter? Because if you don't, we're going to use all of the full power of the federal government to punish you. You know, it's so fascinating. So, first of all, the fact that the court has now emboldened these forces is something quite interesting. It made me even wonder about the loophole language. I wondered if maybe the Ed Blum, Stephen Miller industrial complex <laughs> of, uh, you know, suing and uh, carrying on about affirmative action is too good to let go, yeah. uh, because this is exactly what we would expect. I looked at Stephen Miller's letter. The last words of it are, you are hereby warned. Yes. I mean, these people have delusions of grandeur, but it's enough to frighten universities and their general counsel. Absolutely. And so it it is effective. And so what's not done by the decision, if universities are not careful, may well be done by the self-policing and the fear. You'll be afraid. And that's why this is an important moment, uh, Joy, because people have to decide what they believe. What, of course, they are going to comply with the Supreme Court's decision. Yeah. But they should take them at their word. If there's a loophole, there's a loophole. Yeah. And they should use it. And they should demonstrate their ongoing commitment to having a diverse student And body. I wonder how they would make the argument. How are they going to make the argument that we looked at your yeah. school class and there are too many blacks in it? That's going to be a hell of an argument to try to make, even in front of this Supreme Court, that we think you have too many, not enough white people. And now you guys are counting by race. Now that means you're looking by race and yeah. saying there are not enough white people in That's too exactly blacks. right. And I think Kadanji Brown-Jackson uh, kind of hinted at that at the oral argument in the case when she suggested that some of these arguments might create the opportunity for an equal protection claim that black students would bring uh, about the way that race is used. But, of course, J.D. Vance is not describing this as a legal matter. He is using this as a way of, well, I don't think he's even thinking about how this might play out in a court. What he wants is the political favor that he gets from saying the most extreme and most outrageous thing. It is an amazing thing that anti-blackness and really open anti-blackness has become the Republican Party doesn't feel they have to hide it anymore. They can just do it openly. The question, Joyce, is that a is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it's a bad thing because we're getting what we're getting. Yeah. But it also is true that you and I have known for most of our lives that this has already been true. We know. And we have been accused of race baiting. We have been accused Mm of uh, of dog whistles. We've been accused of paranoia Mm -hmm. um, and we've been gaslighted on it. And I I like it. enemy I can see and fight. Yes. I feel emboldened for that fight. I feel like Amen. we have to gather our own weapons. And now, Joy, we have to pursue what we really want. Uh, we have compromised. I mean, affirmative action based on diversity was a yeah. compromise. Yeah, ba- Baki was considered a loss in the civil rights community. Yeah. We have been willing to compromise. Yeah. They're not willing to compromise. They're That's only right. willing to have 100 percent of the power and 100 percent of That's the right. advantage. And that can't hold. Yeah. So now let's begin to talk about what do we actually want yeah. in these or other institutions? Yeah. What are we looking for? And that's the process I'm engaged in right now, talking with people um, around the country about yeah. this very issue, because yeah. I feel excited about us pursuing the America that we want. Well, we are fighting with a very strong hand because we have you, my you. dear sister, uh, Sherilyn Eiffel. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very Jerry. much. And coming up, the Musk versus Zuckerberg cage match roars back to life with the launch of a potential t- Twitter killer named Threads as Musk fires back with threats of an intellectual property lawsuit. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. 
Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Last month, two grown billionaire wannabe alpha bros challenged each other to a literal cage match, all because Elon Musk flew into a rage after the chief product officer for Mark Zuckerberg's Meta said their Twitter competitor threads would be sanely run, an obvious dig at the Nazi-friendly dumpster fire Musk's Twitter has become. That fight hasn't happened yet. But Zuckerberg's threads launched yesterday, and it's looking like it actually has a shot of besting Twitter. In less than 24 hours, threads had more than 30 million subscribers. It has an innate advantage compared to the many other Twitter alternatives that have cropped up, since you can automatically follow everyone you were already following on Instagram, and they can automatically follow you, creating instant community and familiarity. Zuckerberg has been making digs at Musk over the past day, posting that Twitter didn't succeed as much as it could have because it didn't stay, quote, friendly, and that he hopes to reach one billion users, something Twitter couldn't, quote, nail. Musk is now threatening to sue Meta, with his team accusing them of engaging in systemic, willful, and unlawful misappropriation of Twitter's trade secrets and other intellectual property. He probably said it in that voice. And hiring former Twitter employees who had and continue to have access to Twitter's trade secrets and other highly confidential information, according to a letter obtained by Semaphore. Meta spokesperson Andy Stone responded, to be clear, no one on the Threads engineering team is a former Twitter employee. That's just not a thing. Joining me now is NBC News senior reporter Ben Collins. And that is the voice I swear that he used when he um, wrote that letter. You know, the thing that's so wild about it is it's like dude bro versus dude bro, right? Bad guy versus bad guy. And people are just choosing which bad guy they like least. But I definitely feel like like Meta has the advantage here because the thing that I think has been keeping people on Twitter is that they don't want to leave their following. They want to be where they're following and they don't want to start from zero. You don't have to start from zero on on threads. What do you make of it? Yeah, I think a good a good analogy here is that uh, threads is sort of like the mall. You know, you go there, Wendy's is there for some reason. Uh, you can go down to Old Navy, I guess. They're, they're also talking to people. But your, your friends might be there, too. And it's like, fine. It's okay. You know, it's, it's comfortable and normal, and you're used to it. And Twitter is like January 6th. So like, that's the choice that you have to make. And for me, it's I'm going to take the mall. The national mall yeah. on January 6th. <laughs> yeah, it's the national mall. Right, exactly. So I, look, that's really what it feels like. On Threads right now, it's kind of messy and complicated. They really haven't, they, I would assume they kind of pushed this thing out a little bit before it was ready. It has no browser or desktop experience. Uh, it has no chronological timeline. So the stuff that you're reading is from like 15 minutes ago or five seconds ago or an hour ago. Right. But it still feels safer. It just feels fine because it's not inundated with uh, actual Nazis. I mean, it doesn't have Nazis. I was just going to say the thing it doesn't have is Nazis. And the other thing is you can yeah. read as much of it as you want because this guy, Elon, this so-called genius, right, fired his whole tech infrastructure, pushed him out, and then is claiming they're working for 
threads, which they're not. And then he made it so that he limits how much people can actually read. Um, and he then said you have to be signed in in order to read anything. And they're still not blocking hate speech by the blue checks, in which a blue check now only means you're paying him money. And he tried to make people pay money, which, like, dude, we're not paying you. We're not ever going to pay you. And so no, no decent people will pay. And so the blue check just basically means, you know, you're probably an incel. <laughs> you know, I, that's correct. I think at the end of it, Joy, really the question is, people want to go to a place where they know information will be reliable. And yes. I think if a terror attack happened or something like that, or even something like NBA free agency or something where trade rumors are going around, there's lots of yeah. rumors and lies out there, they would probably, I would assume, tomorrow, they would go to threads yes. already. That's that's how fast they would go to it because they know that that check mark is you know assigned to a Instagram account that you know is is probably checked in on from Instagram and Facebook. You know they have the headcount for this. They were ninety percent of the way there. That's why they were always sort of in the lead for somebody who could take you know go and eat Twitter's lunch when it started failing. It's kind of weird it took this long, frankly, Joy. Yeah. It shouldn't have taken you know seven months. But I do think there is some sort of like camaraderie among the CEOs here that evaporated as Elon, you know, went down into the gutter. Well, here, here's the other thing. There are lots of other ones. You know, there's Spoutable, there's Post News, there's Mastodon, there's, we have a whole sort of thread. There. There's a ton of other ones. And then there are the embarrassing ones like Getter, which I'm sorry, it just sounds like a porn name to me. Uh, you know, there's, and then there's the, you know, the older ones like Snapchat, et cetera. Why do you think it's because they just have the Facebook, Facebook bandwidth? So they didn't have to put you on a wait list. They could just jump in. You know what I mean? Like Spill, which I love, you know, is small. So it, you know, it couldn't launch as fast. Is that what it is? Is that they could just jump right away? And that's why they're leading to that's why they're jumping to the front of the queue. Yeah. And they, they had all of the stuff available, right? Uh, the stuff that Twitter got rid of in the name of censorship or whatever. You know, the idea that uh, somehow we need to, like, allow everyone's worst impulses and racial slurs on these platforms and to allow targeted harassment. The stuff that, that got, they got rid of there, Facebook had all kept all along. They still have these moderation teams checking in on targeted harassment and checking in on uh, the constant use of slurs on their platform. That turns out people want that. People yes. want to feel safe on the Internet. People want to feel safe to have a conversation with somebody about the stupid stuff they do on everyday life without getting you know, attacked by weird strangers. So they were already in the lead with this. It would be a huge fumbling of the bag if they messed this up from here. Yeah. But um, look, I, I'm just going to say this. I don't like Reds yet. I think it's kind of busy and weird and kind of, I don't know, it doesn't have its sea legs yet. But the fact that people were this thirsty and this hungry to get somewhere else this quickly, 30 million signups, it's like that's 60 Wyoming's overnight yes. getting onto this platform. That means people really wanted off Twitter, but they needed it. They needed somewhere to get information immediately. That's and right. they went to the first place that was available. And you know how I knew that it was going to be doom for Elon when Oprah and then all these you know, media organizations started getting on. I mean, Politico, you can actually now news aggregate on threads the way that I used to on Twitter without getting yep. Nazis attacking you. And I'm sorry, that's just a better experience. I just prefer it. Uh, ben Collins, you know, no Nazis is a good thing. It's a better mall. Ben Collins, always appreciate you. And coming up, uh, oh, by the way, you can follow this show on threads at The Readout, and you can follow me at Joy and Reed, J-O-Y-A-N-N-R-E-I-D. Please do, uh, just like on the gram. Please get on board. And still ahead, if anybody's still wondering why Ron DeSantis, 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 whatever his name is, presidential campaign is on life support, 
Get ready for a rundown of just some of his latest policy failures as the governor of Florida. Stay with us. Ron DeSantis's bizarre anti-Trump campaign video pretty much encapsulates what Ron DeSantis is all about. Anti-trans, anti-gay, and totally cringe. In the future, can transgender women compete in this universe? Yes. Make America great again. Psych! Lord have mercy, you know a campaign's got 99 problems when it releases an ad making Trump look good. But old Puddin' Fingers doubled down on the ad anyway during an interview with conservative media person, Tommy, Tommy Lauren. Identifying uh, Donald Trump as really being a pioneer in injecting gender ideology into the mainstream where he was having men compete against women in his beauty pageants, I think that's totally fair game because he's now campaigning saying the opposite. From his Twitter glitchy campaign announcement to his singular focus on red meat issues that appeal only to incels on Reddit, it's looking like amateur hour for the man who thinks he's next in line for the White House. Remember that other ad suggesting that God made him a fighter? Probably the most awkward political message known to man, or God. Which could explain why the Lord looked down on Ron DeSantis on Independence Day and rained all over his parade. Literally. God had a word. Make Ron a wet candidate. Meanwhile, in his state, the one he is still required to govern, malaria. Malaria is back for the first time in decades. So if you're a lucky Floridian testing negative for COVID, guess what? It could be malaria, which makes this a very bad time for public health experts to flee the DeSantis administration. But two top health officials responsible for preventing the spread of communicable diseases have left their positions anyway. Instead of addressing the catastrophe, DeSantis is focusing instead on fake crises like the invasion at the southern border, which Florida does not share with Mexico. There's like a whole ocean there and stuff. But what's a, Rep what's a Republican bid without a heaping pile of xenophobia? Except these draconian policies will certainly destroy lives and businesses. His message to the immigrants in Florida, including the millions who make up the state's labor force, run and hide what it means for the people of DeSantis stand and potentially America next. On Saturday, one of the harshest immigration laws in the country took effect in Ron DeSantis's Florida. The law makes it a second-degree felony for anyone to transport five or more undocumented people or a minor into the state. Mandates that any business with 25 or more employees use E-Verify to check each person's legal status and also requires hospitals and medical providers that accept Medicaid to ask people for their immigration status. These extreme new measures are creating a state of confusion and fear for the nearly 800,000 undocumented people who live in Florida. Reports say some immigrants are afraid to even leave their homes out of fear they'll be deported. Many have stopped going to work, which is causing a panic in the agricultural and construction industries. The Wall Street Journal reports that construction sites have lost a quarter to half of their workers, while others are choosing to leave the state altogether, like Romeo Lucas, who told the Wall Street Journal he moved to North Carolina because he was worried that he could become separated from his children or that his wife's diabetes and her ability to access health care could jeopardize his family. This is just a preview of what America would look like under a Ron DeSantis presidency, although DeSantis seems to think that this law doesn't go far enough. 
in the plan he released last week on how he would handle the southern border. Not only does he pointedly refer to immigration as an invasion that needs to be stopped, he also suggests using deadly force against anyone suspected of being a drug trafficker. Joining me now is Domingo Garcia, national president of the League of United Latin American Citizens, or LULAC. Thank you so much for being here, Mr. Garcia. Uh, I want to start at that last bit. Um, This person has suggested that he would basically wage war at the border using American troops to essentially shoot people. Your thoughts on his sort of whole take on immigration? Well, you know, it's, it's easy. it would be almost DeSantis silly if he wasn't headed the main street and the governor of Florida and have power. And what we've seen, he was in Eagle Pass, Texas, uh, doing that little tour of the border. They found four bodies and an infant dead last week in that same part of Eagle Pass because they couldn't get across and they're being swept away. The fact of the matter, talking about shooting innocent men, women, and children who are fleeing communist countries, asking for assistance, the least among us, that is a pretty low standard, even by Trump politics that we've seen in America. And it's unfortunate that Trump, uh, that uh, DeSantis is resorting to fear-mongering and immigrant bashing to try to win the presidency. You know, I lived in Florida for 14 years, and I can tell you that the workforce, um, not just in the agricultural industries, but in construction, is overwhelmingly Latino. It's overwhelmingly migrant Latino, and they rely they rely on this labor force to make the state function. Let me play you what a Republican state representative, his name is Rick Roth, said during a meeting in Hialeah, where I lived when I first moved to, to South Florida, about what he fears, which is losing his workers. This bill is 100% supposed to scare you. Y la mala noticia es que este este proyecto de ley 100% tiene el propósito de darles miedo. I'm a farmer and the farmers are mad as hell. Yo soy un agricultor y los agricultores están bien bravos. We are losing employees. They're already starting to move to Georgia and other states. It's urgent that you talk to all your people and, and convince them that you have resources, state representatives, and other people that can explain the bill to you. I will note that we did ask uh, Representative Roth for comment. He did not respond. But what do you make of this hypocrisy? Because he went on to say that Governor DeSantis is the greatest governor in the history of Florida and that Trump is the greatest president ever. He still stands by this bill. What do you make of the hypocrisy of begging workers to stay while voting for a law that's making them flee? When you use uh, these immigrants as political piñatas to score points uh, with the red meat given to the, the far right wing of the party, but you re- you shoot yourself economically in the foot in Florida because who's picking those Florida oranges? All the agriculture is done by immigrants. Who is working in those South Beach restaurants, hotels, uh, you know, loading those cruise ships? It's immigrants. And the fact of the matter is probably 25% of the workforce in Florida are immigrants, many undocumented, who are taken advantage of by employers. But nothing is being done about that. And I think the Florida economy is going to take a hit. And what he tried to do by doing the hypocrisy is saying, hey, we want you to work here, even though we're going to persecute you. We're going to ask for your papers if your child comes to the hospital. Think about that. That sounds like Nazi Germany, not the United States of America, even Florida in 2023. 
Yeah. Um, there are lawsuits now. Um, the legal advocates, including the Southern Poverty Law Center, the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU of Florida, uh, Americans for Immigrant Justice, and the American Immigration Council, they have announced they are going to file a federal lawsuit against this bill. The history, though, of legislation going to the Supreme Court is that when Arizona created this Papers, Please law, that went to the court. On a 5-3 vote, they, they struck that law down. But now the court is further to the right. It's a far right-wing court. Are you worried that if this lawsuit goes to the Supreme Court, that this right-wing majority court will uphold it? We are extremely concerned that now that we've three Trump appointees to that board, all of them kind of anti-immigrant, that that could happen. But we were pleasantly surprised when they upheld Biden's decision to be able to use our immigration uh, priorities in terms of who they uh, excluded or not. Uh, we didn't expect that much. So maybe Roberts maybe shifted a little bit to the center when they realized that some of their policies are not popular with the U.S. population as a whole, especially with the U.S. business community, because I think that they understand this is going to hurt American business, because who's going to put the feet on the ta- food on the table? Who's going to go to those meatpacking plants? Who's going to yeah. transport those those trucks? It's immigrant labor. I mean, I'm a little less sanguine on it, given that they included black and brown people. Blacks and Latinos are who they want booted out of elite universities. But maybe they'll have a different uh, vision when it comes to making sure that their right wing friends have labor uh, to do all the work, because that's who's doing all the work. Well, these people who look like you. Well, I mean, me. again, that's the hypocrisy of today, of the Supreme Court today. Uh, you know, it's almost like we're going back yeah. in time with the separate and uh, uh, unequal that had occurred in the past. Uh, yep. You know, I mean, they. And when we seen I, Brown versus Topeka, before that was Mendez versus yep. Winchester, said you can't separate Mexican Americans from yeah. white schools. And yeah. Again, yeah. with the fact we're, that we're talking we're about this, we're out of time. I, I'm so sorry to cut you off, but we are. I, I am all in Chris Hayes' show, so I'm going to start. Domingo Garcia, thank you, sir. That is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated. All right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.